Everybody, welcome back. Besties are back for the All In Podcast. The Queen of Quinoa, Freeburg is here. The Dictator, Chamath, and of course, Rain Man, David Sachs. And uh, it's been a big week here in Silicon Valley with Airbnb and Wish both going public for over $100 billion combined. Anybody get their beak wet on that one? Oh, hey, guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, how are you, David? Yeah, Did I might have, I might have gotten my beak wet on 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 a couple of those. So, oh, a little beak <laughs> wet. Huh? Well, uh, you know what? In celebration of your recent victory with Airbnb and Wish, I will. Oh no, I can't zoom in on my merch, but I've got my unofficial <laughs> wet your beak mug. So, for those of you wondering, we have to. Uh, get a little bit of housekeeping out of the way at first here. Uh, the merch has gone crazy. Have you guys been watching merch on Twitter? Of course. Anybody, anybody I, got I favorite got, merch I, I got, or I thoughts? Got some of those, I got some of those mugs. I think they arrived today. They look great. It's amazing. And, you know, the best decision we made was, was not to let you sell T-shirts, Jason, because you would have... You would have you would have uh, milked this for every every nickel you could, and instead, and instead we we open sourced it to the fans, and they've just gone crazy with it. I mean, they're I know, literally. I know that hurt you. I know that hurt you a little bit. I mean, the the problem I'm having here, no advertising. I'm picking up all the production cost here. I'm sending you guys equipment. You maniacs lose the equipment every time. You go from one of your estates to another estate. I'm sending equipment to four different places. Ugh. Anyway, uh, we've got a special, very special episode for you today. We are doing, drum roll please, we're going to add some sound effects to this afterwards, we're going to do the Bestie Awards today. So we're going to go through the biggest winners in politics and business and cultures, and of course the losers, the flashes in the pan, the best business moves, the stupidest business moves, we've got a lot to get through. Um, but just in terms of housekeeping, again, the all-in syndicate is up and running. I think there's 4,000 people have applied in 10 days. Let's just talk about the market cap of Airbnb, <laughs> well, or wish for that matter. <laughs> what round did you invest in Airbnb? Uh, Series C. Was okay. that the, so, the Founders Fund round? Yeah. yeah. The congrats. Thanks. Oh, that's so yummy. But to be honest, that was already over a billion-dollar valuation, correct? Yeah. It was. It was. I but mean, it's, it's still, still an like eighty a, or a hundred x. It's like a forty x, right? Forty x. It's like a forty. It's like a forty x or something like that. So well, thank, thank you, thank you, Brian Chesky. Thank you, Peter Thiel. Peter led that round, and um, Brian was looking to include founders in the round, uh, and in addition to it being led by Founders Fund, and so Peter introduced me, and that's how it happened. Wow, fantastic! I uh, did not get my beak wet on that, but I did mention. Airbnb on my podcast and that, you know, I've been trying to get Brian on the podcast for, I don't know, a decade. And I said, you know, I, I know you guys want to have him on the pod. I've asked him like literally every year for 10 years, but I, I don't think he likes me. And then he emailed me and said, I listened to the podcast. <laughs> I like you. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Will you come on? He's like, I'll come on. So he's going to come on this year, I think, uh, which would be okay, great, great for this week in startups. Well, I think, I think uh, Brian and the whole team really did a masterful job of uh, navigating through the whole COVID crisis. I mean, everybody forgets how negative the publicity was. People were talking about 
Airbnb as COVID roadkill back in April. I, I tweeted a CNBC headline from back in April, wondering whether Airbnb was even going to survive. And they navigated the crisis. They did have to cut headcount, but they made the company much more profitable. Uh, but they also did um, great things for uh, both the renters and the hosts. Um, at the company's expense, they refunded something like $250 million um, to the to, 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 to users who had canceled reservations, but they gave the money to the host to keep them afloat. So they really did a great job navigating this whole crisis. It's a pretty great company. He obviously cares deeply. Um, it was very uh, hard, I think, for him to cut all that staff at that time. Right. Uh, it was kind of a, a tough decision. But they were very generous in how they did it. Yeah. So congratulations on getting the beak wet, Sachs and uh, Chamath. I got a bunch of inbound. Uh, you had filed to sell some shares of Virgin Galactic. I saw you tweeted about it and you wanted to be transparent. People asked for you to address it on, up front on the show. So go ahead. Yeah, I have uh, a lot of uh, projects that I um, intend to fund in 2021. I'm probably going to put another, I don't know, I think the forecast was almost $2 billion to work. And uh, I needed to manage my liquidity um, for this year and make sure that, you know, um, I could continue to make all those investments and um, fund my uh, fund all of the other things that I need to do. And that's why I did it. And you're still a significant shareholder, I assume, and you believe in the company. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remain completely committed to that business. Um, you know, I, I it, it would have been better if I could have sold something else, but it's not quite possible. And when we're entering, when we when you leave the tax year, you just have to make these decisions to lock in some gains against other losses and um, would have loved to have, uh, have not had to do it, but I needed to manage my liquidity. And so I sold, you know, it's a small portion of what I own. So I yeah, that was sort of my point. This is a small, small portion of what you own. And I mean, this is something that, you know, in poker and in business, you got to manage your chip stack and you got to manage your bankroll. So today we're going to do the besties. Uh, this is our first uh, attempt at talking about, uh, our, it's our award show for 2020. Let's leave it at that. Let's start out with the biggest Wait, before, winner. Before, hold on, hold on a second. Um, how much weight did you lose? Because it's either that you're you still fat about? and you have it. Wait, wait, wait. It's either you're still fat and you have an incredible camera or <laughs> you've actually lost weight. And this reminds me, by the way, oh, I no. would like to tell a story. No, 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 no. Four years ago. Oh, my God. Here ago, we go. Jason, Jason and I make a weight bet. Okay. Just don't say now, the dollar amount. It was like, you know, it was like, I think it was like uh, $10,000 a pound. Whatever and it was. Uh, anyway. Jason, Jason, he would get 10th. He was about to do, and this is incredible. Jason comes to us five years ago and says, guys, you won't believe it. I'm doing a show on NBC, um, a reality <laughs> TV pilot. show. That's true. A pilot. And with... Not... Beep, with beep. <laughs> Please beep that out. Okay, beep that up. Beep and that I out thought, so oh my, I don't get canceled. I thought, oh my God. That guy, that guy seems like a train wreck, but okay, that's fine. You're going to do this pilot with beep, uh, beep. Don't, and NBC don't you, and NBC and don't you need to you know be in fighting shape and he said yes I need motivation so I said here's motivation let's make a weight bet you need to be under 190 pounds and I'll pay you $10,000 $10, a pound that you're underneath you pay me $10,000 a pound over yeah 
it was like six months later and we're hosting, a, I'm hosting a poker game. <laughs> and I realized, oh my God, this is the last, this is the last day of the bet. The day before. Oh, sorry. Midnight. We started the day before and then yep. the last day of the bet is midnight. Yes. I wait till midnight yes. and I jump up and I'm like, wait, Ben. <laughs> so and funny. so I say, Jason, you got to be under 192.5 or 193 pounds. Yeah. He literally goes ashen white. And he says- <laughs> More white than I am now. Okay. Because I just ate he and says, I was maintaining says, my weight. <laughs> he says, he says, okay, okay, that's fine. And he had been eating pizza, nachos. I mean, just everything you me. You he ate, he ate a brick. He ate a brick of brie. I swear to God, that <laughs> and, he, and then he says, he says, Freeberg, you won't believe this. He goes, guys, I just need five minutes before the weigh-in. <laughs> and then he goes to our guest bedroom and tries oh, to take true. a shit. That's not true. What is that? There was no code thirteen in this story. He, he tried, <laughs> You're fabricating now. He tried. He tried I to shit out leak. five pounds. Which I took can, a leak. Who can do? I took a leak. That That's fair. After after eating all that pizza and cheese right, and anyway. nachos and everything. Anyways, he loses the weight bet and he says, "Jamath, this is completely unfair. I'm not going to pay you." He was like 196 pounds. I'm no, not paying you no, this it was money. Like one Hold pound on. over. And he said. Uh, this bet is not over until midnight the fall. Obviously, yes, like obviously, you know, yes. 24 yes. hours later. Fair enough. So I said, all right, fine, Jake, I'll fine. He goes home. He literally takes every diuretic known to man. <laughs> That's not true. Come on. And, and then he loses. He doesn't I did eat go for the a whole walk day. In two I, pairs of sweatpants and sweated I, it out. <laughs> I checked in with this guy 10 times this day. He walked like 12 miles. He took four shits. You know, I sweated it out. Steam room, he hot bath. Saxy. He did a uh, he he did a colonoscopy. He did a colonoscopy. <laughs> to his credit, he lost five pounds by midnight, and he won I did drop it. But then I said, then I said, you know what? Because there were two different weigh-ins, uh, we were going to go play in a poker tournament. So we went and played in the poker tournament. I said, Chamath, buy me into the poker tournament. Well, whatever we win, we'll chop it up if it happens. So we just made it into a friendly thing. Um, and obviously, but great. Now that story is out there, and now I'm gonna. Everybody's gonna be on Twitter with the code. I want 13s a T-shirt. And I, I hope somebody in the all-in army does the T-shirt that just says 192.5, and we'll all know what it means, which is the weight bet. <laughs> the 190 it was 193. <laughs> 193, which is crazy that I'm one. It was 193. Anyway, here we go. Getting into the categories. Our first category is the biggest winner in. Politics, biggest winner in politics. I'm going to ask you, gentlemen, to raise your hand if you have a strong feeling on this. I'll call on one of you who's got a a big winner in politics. Go ahead, Shamath. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. There's, okay, going out on a limb there. Joe there, Biden. There, I mean, let's be honest. There's nobody bigger. And actually, if you wanted to abstract it, what I would say is centrism was the big winner, and uh, and it, it kind of feeds the losers, which is sort of the extreme left and the extreme right. But I would say that. Centrism and Joe Biden were the huge, huge, huge winners. Well, I'll, I'll give a, I'll give a, um, an orthodox pick, which is uh, Xi Jinping, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party. You would have thought he would have had a bad year, starting off with you know COVID, uh, starting in his country at the beginning of the year, but the he was virus. able. <laughs> they, you know, the, the, a global plague came from China, but they were able to kind of. 
uh, they were able to use a, a very gullible WHO to launder uh, responsibility for the catastrophe. And they took advantage <laughs> of the crisis to build more client states in Asia and Africa with promises of vaccines and, and money. And finally, his uh, biggest global nemesis, uh, Trump, and then you know Pompeo lost in the election. So you have to say he came out on top at the end of this year. Freeberg? Yeah, I, I, um, I put, I have the exact same answer as Sachs. I put the Chinese Communist Party as a whole, actually, and I feel right. like um, on the world stage, they're uh, they're strengthened uh, in in the post COVID world. So I had I Kamala, totally agree. yeah, because she went from the famous quote in the debates. There was a little girl in California who was bused to school. That little girl was me, where she took on Joe Biden, and then she winds up getting the VP slot, and I think she winds up actually becoming president and will be the first female president of the year of the, of, of the, in the history of the United States. And that could happen in the first term. Or if Joe Biden doesn't run for a second term and they do a halfway decent job, Kamala plus Pete Buttigieg is a pretty great ticket as well. Who's the biggest loser? Who's your biggest loser, Chamath? In politics. Uh, Donald J. Biggest Trump. Loser. And okay, the uh, obvious answer. The extreme left, the extreme left, and the extreme right. Got it. I'll 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 agree with that. But I'd also add uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House. Uh, her impeachment of Trump at the beginning of the year went absolutely nowhere. It wasn't even a, an issue in the election, and her majority in the House has almost completely disappeared. She lost a, a dozen seats. I think the. Um, the, the, I think she's down to about four or five seats as a razor thin majority in the House. And she's set to lose more in the midterm elections. I predict that she is set to not be speaker anymore in two years and headed for retirement. Okay, Freeberg, you got one? Biggest loser? I have I have the uh, institution of American democracy is the biggest loser of 2020. <laughs> I, I feel like we're coming out of this year with like no belief that our election was valid for a vast majority for for a sizable minority of this country that um, that the well, whole actually some uh, system, some Democrats believe that the election was fraudulent yeah. now too. <laughs> I mean, it, if you say something enough times, everyone believes it. So um, you know, here we are coming out of this year. We're with a crippling um, lack of faith in our electoral system, and uh, it's scary that American democracy is being fundamentally questioned by its own constituents. So, um, so I think that's the biggest loser. Of the, of I, the I had uh, I had uh, two choices here. One of them was already said. I said the hysterical left as my runner-up, Bernie and Warren, just dismissed by Biden and Kamala. They they are not even part of the discussion anymore, and they didn't even get cabinet positions. So the hysterical left and the socialist communist party is out of the Democratic Party, thank the Lord. But my biggest loser, I have to say that this is the worst run of any politician I've ever seen in a year, which is Rudy Giuliani under investigation <laughs> for Les Parnas and Igor Fruman, then the bogus lawsuit elections, then farting during a hearing, <laughs> then doing the Barat shirt tuck. I don't know if we have feelings on if that was a tuck or if he was trying to wake up the genie. And then he bleeds hair dye. <laughs> then he starts bleeding hair dye. Wake up the genie. And, and he got COVID, no? And, and he got COVID. Wait. wait. And he's, oh, COVID. COVID. And, and he's in the hospital <laughs> with COVID. I mean, <laughs> just think. If you, if you think you had a shitty year. <laughs> I think there's going to be the fans of the show are now registering domain names of things we say. 
The upside for him is that Donald Trump's campaign is paying him twenty thousand dollars a day in legal fees. So, oh, no, I think it was two hundred. You know, no, it's twenty grand a day. Oh, it was only twenty. That, that, that's his going rate for making a, a fool of himself. I have a I have a feeling that rate was adjusted when uh, Rudy couldn't get uh, the case to the Supreme Court. <laughs> well, we all know that Trump pays his bills on time, so it shouldn't be a problem, right? <laughs> all right. Uh, now we're going to have some more fun. Biggest winner in business. Biggest winner in business. Freeberg, you want to lead us off? You haven't let us off yet. I'll, t- I'll take this one. I think that the biggest winner in business this year is a company that started a few years ago called Moderna. This company had a IPO in December of 18 at $7.5 billion market cap. It traded between 4 and $5 billion throughout 2019. And all of a sudden, COVID hits, and this becomes a vaccine candidate uh, driver for Moderna, and the stock shoots up. It's worth $60 billion today. This company has not had a product that's gone to market prior to COVID, and they struggled uh, getting this business um I wouldn't say struggle, but they, they never really had a, a an application for their mRNA technology. They looked at it for years, iterating and pivoting this business. And COVID, like a lot of other businesses, really gave them an unbelievable uh, kick. And One as might of even tonight, say a shot in the arm. A shot in the arm. And tonight they got approval from the FDA and they're going to be shipping starting to on Monday, I think. Sachs, anyway. who you got for the biggest winner in business? We're moving on a good pace here. Elon Musk. Uh, Our friend Uh, rose uh, to become the second richest man in the world ahead of Bill Gates uh, and, you know, uh, right on the heels of Jeff Bezos. Uh, His company, Tesla, had something like a eight or 10 X gains over a five hundred billion dollar company. Of course, the products are awesome. It joined the S&P 500 and SpaceX is doing amazing as well. Uh, we saw the launch of Starship the other day, and I have just been mesmerized by all these unboxing videos for Starlink which you can see on YouTube. And it is just magic that you can unbox this little satellite dish, plug it in, and you have broadband internet from space. So um, I think, you know, Elon seems to be on track to be uh, not only the world's richest man, but the world's first trillionaire. Wow. Big, uh, big, uh, big ups there to E. Uh, Chamath, what do you got for the biggest winner in business of 2020? Yeah, I have to agree with Saxipu. Uh Elon is the Elon basically has had over the last 10 or 15 years an incredible amount of challenges that he's overcome. He's had an incredible amount of haters. He's had probably had to deal with stuff that most of us would have broken under. And uh he just fought through it and the guy just basically bended all the haters until he crushed their souls. And I just think that that's incredible. Absolutely. And so Elon Musk is the hands down the biggest, biggest, most obvious winner of 2020. That's the obvious winner. Um, I'll give a couple of runner ups here. Um, I thought also on the runner ups uh, after Elon, Zoom beating Skype, Slack video, Google Hangouts, and fixing all their China issues and getting to a $100 billion valuation is notable. Obviously, Amazon did a great job um, because of the pandemic. Uh, and then. Just as an oddball out there, I just thought Adam Silver in the NBA bubble was an incredibly bold project that was executed so well and was such a delightful business moment and also a cultural moment that you know you had the NBA shutting down during the pandemic. Remember that dramatic night on a Thursday night and they canceled the games and then they do the bubble and it works. And that gave me hope that we could get through the virus. So those were some of my other runners up. All right, the biggest loser in business in 2020. Go ahead, Shamath. Facebook and Google. 
exiting the year with umpteen antitrust lawsuits, um, I think morale must be pretty brutal over there. Um, there's no amount of money at some point that people are willing to get paid to walk in the door every day and just have to do have to deal with those kinds of accusations. And so, um, for all the good in the world that they do, um, it, which so it just must be really tough that they have to deal with it. But uh, those guys, are, I think, are the biggest losers in business. Who do you got, Sachs? The small business person, um, you know, whether it's restaurants, retail, hospitality, what have you, small business people really took it on the chin this year. I agree with Jamath about you know companies like Google and Facebook losing esteem in the eyes of the public for good reason, censorship, and so on. But tech still are you know stocks are at all time highs. The politicians got to keep eating at French Laundry, but it was the small business people who got absolutely decimated by these lockdowns, which don't even work. And so they are the big loser of 2020. Freeberg, who you got? I'm a little more vanilla than the rest of you guys. I went with AMC Entertainment Holdings. Talk about a fucked business in COVID. (laughs) Restaurants, at least you can do takeout. You can't take out a movie from AMC. They're, they're shut down all over the country. Their creditors are telling them to declare bankruptcy. It's a total shit show. You no one's going go go to go back to the movie movies? theater. You don't think well, they go back? I don't think they go. I don't know what the hell wow. like AMC is going to do. What do you do with all those theaters? They're awesome. I love going to the movies, but I'm not going to the movies for at least another year. So, And it's sad because honestly, like movies are a big part of my life, always have been. And it's sad to see movie I think theaters. Gonna I, com- you know, they're going to come yeah. back strong. They're going to come back stronger. I think Amazon will buy one chain. I think Netflix buys the other. And right. then with your membership, you get to go and see all the range of stuff, and maybe even see like Queen's Gambit in the theater. It's such a it's a such a great before. experience, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I like would have loved to see Queen's Gambit there, in a theater. Totally. There's so much okay. you could do with theaters, and I think um, there's an opportunity. But man, did those guys get screwed this year? Well, I always thought they should do an extended edition. So imagine if when HBO or one of those did you know, Game of Thrones, if they had it out the day before in movie theaters or the week before uh, or two days before, and they did an extra 10 minutes, people would love that. My biggest loser was, of course, same as David, uh, real world businesses, absolutely demolished. And the government after that first stimulus, which was incredible, Trump did an amazing job of just dropping buckets of money, whether it was that PP loans and PPE loans, whatever the PPP loans, PPP loans. All this stuff was incredible. And then what complete, utter bullshit and incompetence from our government that they couldn't get the second one done. It's absolutely fucking infuriating that the Democrats and the Republicans, these selfish fuckers, couldn't get another billion dollars dropped on people's head. And here we are in December. That shit needed to drop in August or September, not December. It's just absolutely disgraceful. It's, they're, they're, I'm just disgusted that they couldn't even get some more money to people who are suffering unemployment and these restaurants, a hundred thousand restaurant closures by the end of 2020. It's just unconscionable that the the stock market is ripping and we can't get just some money in people's pockets. Just drop the money. It's infuriating. And we're sitting here at the taping of this, that it might actually happen. Um, Okay. Biggest winner in culture. Who's got a big winner in culture? Anybody got one? I got the um, the Black Lives Matter movement, and I think it mm. um, I think it was such a like meaningful um, and impactful uh, um, kind of shift in how people were thinking fundamentally about behavior in society. It's still persisting. You know, there's corporate action, there's state action, there's regulatory action, um, and I think it's uh, it's a meaningful movement that's going to persist. 
I think it came at a time when we all felt like, you know, a lot of people felt locked up in their homes. People were angry. People were frustrated with the system. And um, just uh, it just was a very poignant moment, uh, especially occurring during COVID, that it really took hold. Um, and it, I think it's going to last. And I think that the uh, um, the movement itself is going to spawn a lot of change. Yeah, I think it's well said. David, who do you got uh, in culture? <clears throat> uh, Baby Yoda. Uh, star. <laughs> so you went pop culture on that one. <laughs> yeah, star, star of the Mandalorian show uh, that his... His ascent to icon status uh, helped Disney get 86 million subscribers Grogu. for 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 Disney Plus, uh, which just blew away expectations and uh, has established Disney Plus as the main rival to Netflix. Do you think Netflix? Uh, you think Disney will pass Netflix? Correct. I don't know if they'll pass them, but they're now certainly going to be a, a major rival to them. I think they. I think they pass them. Okay, Chamath, who do you got? Culture. I would pick uh, a combination of Fortnite, Roblox, and Among Me, which I think has for at least um, a lot of high school and middle school uh, kids, but I maybe a lot of adults, the only form of social interaction that we've had for wow. an entire year. What a great, what uh, a great selection. And, uh, and I think it's important to understand how much lonelier we all would have been and how much more mental illness and depression we all would have dealt with if we couldn't have even just talked to our friends. And I think that there's something really beautiful that those games did for people. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, I went with podcasting. I think on a cultural basis, Joe Rogan and what's happened in podcasting is long form discussions. Even this podcast um, has become just an amazing, amazing movement and people are having better discussions. And I, I consider it the antidote to what's happening on social media. When people hear us discussing stuff on this podcast, they feel like they ate something nutritious. They had a great salad. They had some healthy food. And then when they're on social media and they consume the same tweets that we're doing, they feel like it's junk food, right? And so I think that podcasting, long form discussions, listening to each other, maybe, you know, Republicans and Democrats, left, right, everybody listening to each other and podcasting is just such a great meeting, medium for discussion. Who is the biggest loser on a cultural basis in 2020, Mr. David Sachs. The media, starting with the New York Times and other sort of elite media, they ripped the umpire jersey off their backs to go after Trump. Well, they got him, but at what cost? Half the country will never trust them again. Uh, this makes conspiracy theories more likely. It makes cultural divides deeper. And they've been revealed to be corporate journalists, journalists who uh, subscribe to and serve uh, an agenda of their corporate masters, they've lost the public's trust. Friedberg, what do you got on the biggest cultural loser? Uh, climate change it took a back seat this year. Um, it you know it had momentum <laughs> as a as a cultural meme. It's uh, it's lost its uh, its luster and it's been um, shadowed a little bit this year with BLM and uh, and COVID and lack of faith in institutions and all the other stuff that's been going on. Do you think that people now, when they see the collective response to COVID and the pan, uh, the, the vaccines and us, our ability with science and technology to solve the pandemic, we will have a newfound appreciation for coordinated global action on global warming, David? Pre-birth. I think, are you asking me? I think, um, I think the, uh, I think the faith in institutions has eroded tremendously this year. The WHO 
telling people not to wear masks and then telling them, hey, masks are good. Uh, the FDA. So you think that, that hits the, um, I think the just, global I think, warming I think, movement as well? Yeah, I think the, the lack of faith okay. in institutions as well as in the media um, makes it really difficult for things that require a coordinated effort uh, and a coordinated cultural shift uh, to take hold, um, you know, are really challenged uh, in this new kind of model where, where you don't know what to believe and you don't believe institutions and you don't believe old school and you don't believe states and you don't believe, you know, anything structural anymore. So it's it's a scary it's a scary kind of moment. I don't know. I think climate change is going to have momentum with the new administration, at least coming into office in the U.S. But um, but generally, like institutional guidance is, is lost its luster. Chamath, what do you got? Wokeness. 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 And I, I think when you now look at the realization of what we've gone through, um, people have realized that, you know, you can you can be extremely anti-racist and think Latinx is just a stupid label. You know, you can be an entirely complete 100,000 million percent supporter of LGBTQ, but think that, you know, all these complicated pronouns aren't really necessary. Um, and I think that people are coming to a point where you can have um, nuance. Um, and I think that that's really important. I think that this whole cancel culture and wokeness was um, incredibly corrosive. Um, and I think that that they lost. I think it's actually a great um, I think it's I think it's a great point you're making, Chamath, because on the last episode, I fumbled the word MX, which none of us have ever seen. <laughs> We all laughed about it. And then I just had this little thing. I was like, okay, I guess this is when I get canceled because I laughed at the fact that, or I mispronounced it, right? And the fact that I thought, even for a second, that mispronouncing this term MX, which I then did research on, and I said, does anybody know how to pronounce the word MX, MX on Twitter? So I figured I would preempt the, the dropping of the... um podcast by bringing it up on my Twitter. And people are like, are you trolling? I'm like, no, I'm asking. And I found videos and it turns out there is an actual controversy in the trans community where MX, some people believe means mixed, M-I-X-E-D. Other people think it's um, MX as X the variable, as in the variable X. And so they're having their own debate. They're figuring it out. That's great. Everybody loves them. Everybody supports them. But the fact that I mispronounce it, you know, should I be to the canceled people for that are struggling it? with that? Yeah. Well, Jason, can I tell you? Can I tell those people yeah. that are struggling with whether X equals anything or X equals mixed? Hum just to touch upon Friedberg's point, um, the human race has caused eight percent of all the species in the world to go extinct, and we have put another twenty-two percent of every single other species at the at the brink of extinction. At the same time, we have now expanded our footprint to touch 75% of the Earth's land surface. So until somebody fixes those problems, I don't actually want to know what the X stands for. Yeah. I mean, we, we're this idea that we're going to cancel until each we put, other. Until, we put, until we put stimulus checks, put the fucking stimulus checks into people's hands. Get these small businesses back to work. Then you right. can tell me what the X stands for. Yeah. Okay. My uh, biggest loser on culture was the same exact as you, David. We're thinking similar. I have taken the red pill you gave me. I crushed it up. I've been snorting these, the red pill like crazy. People think I'm turning into a Republican. But I thought mainstream media and late stage journalism sacrificed objectivity specifically to get subscriptions. And they used the anti-Trump 
feelings and they worked them and got the the ratings from them and they literally use that new york times is the is the the best example uh, i think the work you guys use for best example is canonical of like using their anti-trump feelings to get people to take out their wallets and subscribe everybody realizes it they drove out barry weiss they drove out their editor of the page for making people feel unsafe with their words and then new york magazine drove out andrew sullivan and then glenn greenwald gets leaves his publication i mean Anybody who dissents inside of one of these publications, they canceled them inside of a publication for an opinion on an opinion page. It's crazy. Okay, let's keep everything moving here. Biggest turnaround in, I guess this is biggest turnaround anything, but I did business. I'll lead off with mine. My best turnaround was Airbnb. They laid off 25% of the company in July, 1,900 of 7,500 employees. They cut their marketing budget by 800 million. And then they IPO five months later. Uh, and they had raised a billion dollars at an $18 billion valuation, according to PitchBook, and now worth $88 billion a week after the IPO. That is a turnaround of all turnarounds. David, who did you have? Uh, this is where I had Joe Biden. He finished Got fourth it. in Iowa, fifth in New Hampshire. No candidate has ever bombed that badly in the first two contests and gone on to win the nomination. Biden roared back in South Carolina and then won big on Super Tuesday and wrapped up the party nomination by March. Uh, biggest political comeback ever. Mm. Who do you got, Freeberg? I got Airbnb as well. I mean, from, yeah. And here's, the, here's one of the craziest stats. They're sitting there in Q1 with a great business. Revenue dropped 67% in Q2. Oof. Can you just imagine the experience of 67% of your revenue going away in one quarter? Uh, cash burn skyrockets and just having to respond quickly and still maintain integrity with your customers and your employees as a leadership team. I mean, it was an incredible leadership um, uh, demonstration. It's a, five alarm, it's a five alarm fire, right? I mean, it's literally, you got to get everybody out of the building. Here, here we go. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. is weird as beak. Who do you got, Shamath? I'm curious. Who is your biggest best turnaround? Big censorship. Censor censorship. Censorship mm. existed in in draconian and the dark ages of our of our journey as a country and in the world, and it came roaring back this year. The amount of people that have been muzzled, stifled, the amount of fact and science that literally just gets judged willy nilly by our distribution points like Facebook and Twitter and Medium. It's really scary. So censorship made a roaring comeback in 2020. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Okay, now we go on to the biggest flash in the pan. You can interpret this any way you like. What do you got, Saxy Poo? Rain the WHO. The WHO. Who? Nobody kn who? knew who. The, the World Health Organization. Nobody knew what the WHO was before this year. Then they have become, you know, somehow this global authority on COVID, despite getting everything wrong. They initially said that we didn't need to wear masks. They didn't update that until June 5th. This was about 10 weeks after my blog saying that, you know, masks were a good idea. They got the method of transmission wrong. They were saying that transmission mainly occurred through fomites, which is contagious surfaces instead of respiratory particles. They uh, initially said that lockdowns worked. Then they modified their policy on that because of its impact to marginal groups. And so the WHO has just gotten everything wrong this year. And despite that fact, you now have 
to Chamas' point, Google, YouTube, and even sites like LinkedIn or Nextdoor are now censoring people's statements if they contradict the WHO, apparently without irony, because nobody has contradicted the WHO more than the WHO itself. I look forward to next year when nobody cares about the WHO anymore. Great. Friedberg, what do you got? Flash in the pan. Uh, I put hydroxychloroquine. You guys remember? <laughs> yeah, that was good. good point. It was gonna, good point. it was gonna save the world for a minute or two, and then you know, here we are. And uh, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yeah. Here we. Okay. Yeah. Everybody knows. You may have heard of hydroxychloroquine. Okay. <laughs> miracle. Some people say it's a miracle. I took it. It's great. Chamath, <laughs> what do you got? Uh, it, it's We're actually quite. Re- it's actually quite related to this, and I thought that she was marvelous, but I do think she will disappear off the scene, which is Sarah Cooper, which, uh, you know, basically in the last month of the campaign, um, kind of just disappeared. And now is, uh, I, I don't think, uh, anybody knows who Sarah Cooper is and probably in a year from now won't, but for, for the period, for the, for those dark months of the pandemic, her mockery of Trump was some of the funniest stuff on Twitter that I'd ever Oh, Sarah Cooper is amazing. Yeah, she she got a Netflix and I don't think she'll be a flash in the pan. I think she'll come back. Um, I would have loved to pick, um, who was the press secretary for, um, with the Southern accent for, for Trump, Sachs? Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Yeah, Huckabee. She, but I think she was gone in tw- by 2020, so I can't pick her, but she was amazing at defending Trump. She's like, you all are dumb and Trump is smart and he has 150 IQ and he owns Mar-a-Lago and he has a jet and his jet's bigger than your jet and you are the fake news media. And I don't care what you say, American public don't know what you say, and Trump is amazing in bed. He was banging porn stars when y'all were jerking. I mean, he's just, she would defend him. I, that's who I want as my PR person. She defended him for all time. My biggest flash in the plan, though. I don't think is, you need a PR person. Yeah. I don't need a PR person. I got this. We got this podcast now. We don't need the press or PR. We just go right to the audience. Um, <laughs> Nicola trading at thirty-four billion dollars. They took your precious Spacs, Chamath, and they perverted it with a dipshit. Milton, who was on my podcast and couldn't answer basic questions. It's now worth $6 billion. I predict it will be worth $0.60. Cents. I kid you not, this company will go to zero, is my prediction. If you are buying companies, and I made Jason's Jake, really you were going to scare all founder, all founder CEOs are going to avoid coming on your podcast now. No, 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 no. I, I'm Brutal. delightful. But for this kid, yeah. um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's under investigation. Your company is worth nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You're weak, Lizzie. You're no, he's You're, under yeah. investigation. The thing's a disaster. They're obviously riding on Elon's coattails. He couldn't make a decision if it was hydrogen-powered cars or electric trucks or whatever. And uh, the company's in chaos. And I, I, I made a rule, which is if a company has not released their product and it's worth over a billion dollars, be careful because it could be a fraud um, or it could be a disaster. That's my biggest flash in the pan, Nicola. Um Biggest breakthrough, Freeberg, you want to start us off on this one? I have an idea. I think I know what you're going to say. 
I'm going to say Alpha Fold. You know that we talked about it in the last podcast. I think um, Alpha Fold feels to me like what ARPANET was, which was the origins of the internet. You know, uh, back when it was first installed, and no one really kind of gra- grappled with the ramifications of what would emerge. And I think you know, once we have the ability to design proteins to do things, um, a, a lot's going to change in the world of medicine and human health and longevity and the kind of environment, and it's going to be pretty powerful. So I'm excited about AlphaFold creating a foundation for for uh, humanity's ability to do those things. Chamath, what do you got? Hundred percent AlphaFold. By uh, there's not a close second, to be honest. Okay, Sachs. Well, I, as a as a close second, I guess I would uh, I would uh, mention the mRNA vaccines, which we talked about on the show. The ability to basically um, print a vaccine in two days, and hopefully they will follow our advice about challenge vaccines. So the next time we have one of these pandemics, challenge trials, challenge trials, we can uh, we can respond much more quickly. And then just quickly in politics. I thought the biggest breakthrough was uh, Pete Buttigieg. He made the unlikely leap from mayor of South Bend, Indiana, to being the first credible openly gay candidate for president. He won Iowa, sort of, uh, along with Bernie Sanders, and was a very close second in New Hampshire. Uh, he's going to be uh, the the um, he's going to be director of the trans- transportation department in the Biden administration. Uh, By my the way, biggest Sachs, I, I want to just point something out mm-hmm. on your, sorry, Jake Al, but, um, you know, the mRNA vaccine technology has been around for like 15 years and regulatory barriers and regulatory constraints have largely kept this stuff from coming to market. And it's interesting how, you know, in a year where we have this pandemic emergency, we can take this technology that has been around and has been available to us for so long. And suddenly, you know, all the regulatory barriers get dropped and things come to market that change the world. I think it, it's it's a great highlight of like what's possible when some regulatory constraints are, are diminished a little bit and technology is really allowed to flourish and see the light of day. Um, and you know, we all act so surprised that this technology works, but it's been here for a while. It's pretty, uh, pretty astounding that it hasn't worked or hasn't been allowed to work in the past. In a previous um, episode, just an observation, Freeberg, I think it's worth having. Yeah, I think it's a really valid one because it wasn't a breakthrough that occurred this year. The breakthrough was they broke through the regulations. You said you wanted to wait and see some people get the vaccines first. Um, and then that led to some accounts uh, on the Twitter saying, are you still anti-vaccination? And I, I had to correct them. You've never said you were anti-vaccination. To be clear, oh, you I'm said not, you I'm might want to wait. I'm not anti-vax, not at all. No. No, no. You, I wanted, said, well, you said you point, wanted to point, wait. Point, yes. No, no. I think my point is, um, I think a lot of people are going to latch on. Sorry, let me just be really clear. I think a lot of people are going to latch on to the small number of cases that are going to be amplified of people having adverse reactions to this, you know, new technology vaccine. In Alaska the other day, like two days ago, there was a nurse who got the vaccine, and she had a really bad anaphylactic reaction to it. She had to be given epinephrine twice to survive. And she came out and she was fine. But it's that storytelling. That's like, you know, they, they, they assume it should be some small percentage of people will have some reaction to this thing. But that is the storytelling that will keep people from doing this. And I think that is the, the, the biggest kind of concern. And that's why you've got guys like Mike Pence doing the, the vaccine tomorrow. You know, he's going to do it on live TV and uh, celebrities like Ian McKellen doing it. They're, they're trying to kind of create wait, a little bit wait, of fake wait, wait. Are we going to see Mike Pence's naked shoulder and bicep on television? <laughs> yeah. will gonna, they're going to blur it out. They're going to pick something it out because mom doesn't want to see yeah. that. That's no, but not is, allowed is, his... mother, is mother going to be beside him? That's his yes, wife. They'll, they'll he calls his, he calls his wife. Mother. Actually, mother's going to give it to him because if a if a woman doctor gave it to him, 
he, it would be kind of like cheating because she stuck something in him, you know, and it's just not right. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to take it. If anybody doesn't want their vaccine, I will take it because I'm losing my mind in quarantine. I mean, for the love of God. Uh, smartest business move, Chamath. I think uh, 2020 was uh, the year of the SPAC. I think that it is, uh, it is, it's, it's, just, it's an incredibly, <laughs> it's done, it's, it's done something really, really, really important in the capital market. So that, uh, can you give Chamath so his bestie award now, JKL? Yes. Accepting <laughs> his bestie award, give there it to go. him by himself. himself. <laughs> would you like an acceptance speech? I, uh, I the, would the, like the to smartest thank business me. move. This I would is like to thank me. <laughs> the smartest business move. Me. <laughs> Sachs, what was your smartest business move or the smartest business move in business? Well, I, I'd like to thank Jamath for the SPAC thing too, because I was in Open Door and uh, I was in Porch and both of them are SPACing this year. So, Oh, right. I, I'm in desktop metal. I'm yeah. going to go. <laughs> we have to agree. Jamath so is for, the best yeah. in business. <laughs> you've, you've, wet, you've wet all of our beaks. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, if you think about it, I, I've done uh, six deals this year. Are we still talking about me? Or okay, stop. Yes, yes, <laughs> we have to play the music, you know, the walk-off music on the Oscars. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Oh my god! Except oh, his I wish, second bestie is Chamath. I wish. I, I, I wish I he's wish been nominated I, three times, but this is the only bestie he's won. I really wanted to be in that reality show with you and. <laughs> oh, beep, 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 beep. I mean, talk about dodging a bullet. We went with this trailer to the fo- top five studios. They all wanted it. In the room, NBC says, we'll take it. In the room, the, the head of NBC says, we'll take it. We taped the pilot. And then, beeps, whole career life blows up. And thank the Lord that show didn't get on TV because... I, it would have been executive produced by beep. Uh, and yeah, that would have been bad. So uh, no reality TV for me. Uh, I had a, I had another smart business move I just wanted to point out, which was Salesforce buying Slack. I think it's brilliant for them. I think they're going to look back on the 10% they paid of their capital for Slack. And I think Slack will be more important than Salesforce ultimately in business. It's a huge. It's the most important oh. brand there. What a crown jewel! What a great, what a great move by Benioff and and Brett Taylor, and I just think what a great asset. Totally Will it agree. be better for them than YouTube is for Google or Instagram is for? I think Facebook? I think it's on that level actually. I think it's of that order of magnitude where the importance of those assets to those companies, Slack will be to Salesforce. Cost cost twenty times, thirty times as much though. So less upside, but. Less Still. upside, but but in terms of like lock in and value and you know the prevention of churn uh, over time, I think it's going to be huge. I mean, it could be at some point the company is Slack, Salesforce. Like Slack will be the the preeminent brand there. David, did you go for this for smartest business move? I, I agree. I, I agree with both the ones you've already done. Okay, I'm gonna I'm so gonna rattle, go. I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle one off real quick. I got. Go um, I think people miss this, but at the bottom of the market. Silver Lake did this massive debt deal into Airbnb, which if you'll remember is reminiscent to me of Warren Buffett, you know, giving $5 billion to Swiss Re and Goldman Sachs, and he earned a 12% coupon and got warrants in both those companies. And it just paid a tremendous return for him. Silver Lake swooped in Airbnb in April, gave him a 12% debt deal for a billion dollars, and they got warrants that the warrants today 
are worth um, about $1.4 billion. And, and this debt is probably worth three times what they put in. So in like five months, six months, these guys have basically turned a billion dollars of debt into $4 billion of value. Uh, it was an incredible deal, incredibly gutsy. If you think about what we were all feeling in early April about the market and where the world was headed, we had no fucking clue. For these guys mm. to swoop in and do that, I thought it was super impressive. The, the other one, I, 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 I had a couple on this because I just I, I want to rattle these off. Yeah, the other one was what? Bill Ackman bought a fucking S&P put, sorry, bought an S&P put for $27 million that he sold for $2.6 no, 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 billion. No, no. Yeah, he, he, bought, he bought credit default insurance on a whole strip of Credit default uh, insurance. Of debt. Yeah. 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 But he turned a $27 million insurance instrument into $2.6 billion of returns for his fund, and he still didn't sell his portfolio. In fact, he bought at the bottom. And I mean, the, the, the foresight this guy had going into the down market ahead of March, he saw that the market was going to tank because of COVID. Um, he made a bet on it. It was a tiny bet for him. But man, to turn $27 million into $2.6 billion in like 60 days or 90 days, unbelievable. And, and then he bought stock in his companies at the bottom. Um, what a gutsy investor. And then I, was my there anything? Yeah. Was there anything fugazi on that with where he had gone on CNBC and talked and he did this whole big, you know? No, no, no. He did, he did it longer. Yeah. He yeah. did it afterwards, but I, th I think he's. I think he's great. I think he's great. Yeah. Okay. I think it was. It was incredible. And my third one, which we don't talk about a lot, is Larry Ellison bought a billion dollars of Tesla stock less than two years ago. That is now worth over ten billion dollars, and he yum, did yum. it. And he joined the board. And, um, you know, you put your money where your mouth is and you take ownership. And, um, you know, I don't know much about Larry, but uh, there was a lot of naysayers about Tesla saying they were bubbly and overvalued at that time. And it was Tesla a really... Q. He yeah. did it in the middle of the Tesla Q shorting movement. And now he can buy not just Lanai, but he could probably get Kauai to go with it. He could yeah. buy another island. Anyway, those were uh, three gutsy bets that I thought were worth highlighting that that absolutely. just really impressed me. And, and you know, it's when the markets are down, when you're facing the abyss, when everyone else is telling you you're wrong and you make a big bet like that um, and it pays off. Th that's the kind of stuff that I think returns are made from and character is built. And it, those, are, those are just really impressive moves for me that, that right. stood well, out. So th yeah. a, there was a lot of impressive moves this year. The tide went out and came back in real quick. Uh, so there were some dumb business moves as well. Sachs, you got a dumb business move that was a highlight for 2020? The city of San Francisco biting the hand that feeds it. For years, these politicians have been shitting on the tech community, acting like the tech community was somehow a parasite on San Francisco. Well, you know, now because of COVID, Congratulations. The, the tech community has the option to leave. You have a lot of people leaving and there are gigantic budget deficits for the city. The schools have giant uh, budget deficits. It's not clear how they're going to close these things. And it's looking that more and more like it wasn't tech that was a parasite. It was the politicians who are the parasites. And nobody uh, knows how to fix the city of San Francisco anymore. Yeah. Okay. Uh, dumbest business move, Chamath? Um, I think it it's was a tough one. I think it was probably for me um the governor of California's handling of COVID. Um well I guess that's more political than business, but um Well no, I mean it did impact businesses, so I think you're you're I think I'll, that, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. I think that I think that what he showed was how naked partisanship was in decision making that had that should have been based on science in fact. And the quality of the decision making just eroded 
every single decision that he made. And then now, you know, as, as David said, it's kind of like you have this just, just, you know, um, uh, you have this moment where it's like, you know, the just eat cake moment where he's eating at French laundry and the day after he's like basically shutting the whole world down again. It's, it's very frustrating. Well, and, so, so I think and the, that, that he also was shutting down beaches, right? And then, you know, the stay at home orders and not letting people leave their house and go to a beach or eat outdoors, all that there does a, is send them inside. They're going to have a party inside their house. Well, there was a so great so tweet. Stupid. There's a great tweet that said, um, you know, I'm not allowed to go to the store. I'm not allowed to go to the shopping center, but I'm going to take my child on a walk. And if anybody stops me, I'm just going to tell them I'm taking her to the nail salon. And <laughs> the reason is because <laughs> you couldn't walk to the park, but you could, you could go to the nail salon. And so, you know, this tweet was just reminiscent of just how arbitrary and random this stuff was. And it had... Just so many downstream impacts. So I think that was a huge fail. Of and nobody loves hypocrisy. I picked my smartest business move with Salesforce buying Slack. Conversely, I'm picking my dumbest business move with Slack's board selling Slack. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I understand they felt like maybe uh, it was a great deal, but I would have much rather them see seen them do what uh, I, I, Jeff to be did honest with you, To be honest with you, I mean, I left the board and I just don't know why. I, I wish I could have gotten the call because I would have bought it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think network effects are incredibly unique assets. They're very, very rare. I think we've all been around them. We've worked in them. David has, David, the other David has, I have, Jason, you have. It is the single most incredible momentum driver and, you know, sort of tailwind. And when it exists, you just never give it up. And so I agree with you. I would have bought Slack if I could have, if they would have given so me a shot. we ride our winners and you appreciate network effects. If you look at what Jeff, Lawson did at Twilio. He started with much less, I think. Um, he started with nothing. Started with nothing Lawson, with Twilio. Jeff then Lawson he is buys Sengrid and oh. Segment. Oh, Their incredible. market cap has gone 12, it was, it's 12X market cap. They went from $29 a share to $365 a year in three years. They're at 60 billion. Slack should have been buying other companies with their equity and they sh and they should have built and rolled up all of the other HubSpots or whatever else is out there that well, they I could afford to buy Zendesk, whatever. I'm not sure that the M&A strategy was the hard part. I just think that it's when you're in the bowels of these companies, as we all know, it's super hard, right? So, I mean, I don't think you can fail Stuart uh, and the team, but I think that somewhere along the way, just the realization of how special and unique that network effect was um, mm. didn't happen because it would have given a different team a level of energy or comfort to kind of really go for the brass ring, as you said. And uh, But, you know, hopefully they'll be able to execute it at Salesforce. Okay. Did I get everybody's dumbest business move? My dumbest business move was myself. Um, so I will take, uh, I will Accepting take the, the award style for best being yeah. a schmuck is Friedberg. I think for me, me and anyone else that fucking hedged or shorted the market or sold during the dip in March, uh, I learned the most valuable lesson I've learned in my investing career to date. You just want to invest and hold shares in great businesses and not try and time markets because, um, that's always a loser's game and a fool's errand. Um, and I think, you know, worrying about the market going down or up, as long as you hold shares in great businesses, it doesn't matter. Trading is not for me. It was stupid. Um, and I just feel like a lot of people learned that lesson this year. I've heard a lot of people that kind of freaked out and got out of the market and then they regretted it and tried to get back in and it was too late. And 
yada, yada. I, so. um, I read a document um, that someone wrote um, for me, um, and she wrote this incredible quote that I had never heard from Buffett, and I'll give it to you, Friedberg, because it's, re- it's very uh, apropos of this. Buffett had this statement, which is that, you know, um, it's not about timing the market. It is about time in market. And I just wow. think that's so, that's so beautiful because it's so simple, but it basically summarizes exactly what you said, which is get in, close your eyes. And if you, if again, unless for liquidity, you just don't ever sell. Yeah. It's a fool's errand to try to time the market, sit on your hands, ride your winners. Um, and, and he always said, listen, if a business is on, if I own this business and I love it, and it's at a discount, I should want to own more of it. I believe that was another Buffett. I don't know the exact quote. Uh, let's go to Smartex political move, and, and we'll go to our token uh, Republican, David Sachs, for that. Well, uh, <laughs> well, it's, 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 yeah, it's funny you identify me that way, because uh, my, my smart, smartest political move goes to Congressman Jim Clyburn, a Democrat of South Carolina, for endorsing Joe Biden just before the South Carolina primary uh, a number of people on the Biden campaign were uh, panicking. They wanted him to do it early because Biden had bombed in Iowa and New Hampshire. And uh, Clyborne kept his powder dry and endorsed Biden at the absolute perfect time. It caused Biden to win South Carolina, and that led him to sweep on Super Tuesday. Jim Clyborne was the kingmaker of 2020. Without him, Joe Biden would not be president. Wow. Okay. Who do you got? Freeberg. Smartest political move of 2020 was Joe Biden staying quiet, hanging out in his bunker, and letting Trump do his own damage. <laughs> End of story. But I feel like it. I feel like if you know that Biden knew that it wasn't his election to win, it was Trump's election to lose, and I think he let him go out and lose it. And um, and that to me was uh, smart advice and, and smart action. You know, sometimes so he the just best checked. action he is just, inaction. He just he just slow played aces. He hit his set. He just checked and he watched him fire. Uh, who do you got, Shamath? Smartest political move. Smartest political move, which you will not see until 2022 or 23, but laid the groundwork this year, and I thought it was brilliantly done, was Nikki Haley, who I think will mm. be the Republican nominee for president in wow, 2024. Nice and she did a, an unbelievable job of tricking Trump to believe that he was her supporter, then getting distribution, and then basically subtly telling everybody that she thought that he was an idiot. And I thought that she was brilliant in So she didn't look like a rat leaving the ship. She looked like, you know, a rebel or something getting off the I ship. Think, yeah. I, I think if you want to find um, somebody to consolidate center-right politics in 2024, uh, my money would be on Nikki Haley. All right. I went with the smartest political move. I also went for the long game. Pete Buttigieg going on Fox Recently, I think he did obviously a masterful job. You had that sax earlier, but he started going on Fox and basically being really spicy with them and supporting the hell out of um, Biden. And then he gets himself this uh, secretary of transportation. And I think he's set up to either be the VP or the presidential candidate uh, in the future. And he's, I think he's going to be one of the bright stars. I also would, uh, I think Andrew Yang, it did nothing happened for him this year, really. I don't know, but I, I felt like he also is, my understanding is he's going to run for mayor of New York. That was another amazing political winner in all of this. I don't know if anybody has feelings on either of those. I love I love Andrew Yang. I think he's uh, fabulous. 
Uh, he's coming on the pod. I pragmatic, s- pragmatic, centrist, smart, capable, competent. Um, Good listener. He, he attracts yeah, it. He attracts a plurality of people. Yeah. yeah, and I and I think he's spoken out against uh, cancel culture. And so, you know, whenever I see somebody in the left speaking out against cancel culture and censorship, like the way Chamath has, uh, that definitely to me elevates them in my book. Are you saying Chamath is someone from the left? <laughs> well, it's amazing how much we agree on, you know. Well, I mean, I think that there's you have this left and right definitions, which have become very hard to understand. And I think what we have to get back to is the American principled idea of freedoms and opportunity, right? And and and, and I don't think either of the parties actually were representing that properly. Dumbest yeah. political move of the year. I think I know where everybody's going to go with this, but I would like to- <laughs> Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> Rudy Giuliani's press conference at the sex shop. I mean, <laughs> just, I mean, how amateurish- is that group of people? The Four Seasons gardening. <laughs> we're going to be at the Four. Was they were they trolling us and trying to get press for it? I don't understand that one. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So you so go with stupid. Rudy Trulliani for the dumbest political move. Sachs, what do you got? I have I, a feeling I, I know what Sachs got. Well, I got I got a tie here um, okay. between uh, one was uh, defund the police. You know, as a political slogan, the whole country. You know, the BLM movement had the whole country on its side. Uh, after the, you know, the, the, the George Floyd video came out, everybody was in favor of sensible reforms to control the use of force by the police. And then they, they introduced the slogan of defund the police and it scared voters across the country into voting for, uh, Republicans in Congress. And it, uh, probably cost Joe Biden, not the presidency, but, uh, Congress. And the, my, my tie, the other half of that was, uh, Donald Trump refusing to uh, wear a mask or to uh, endorse masks. Uh, he finally did it, but it was two or three months too late. If he had just gotten on board with masks, it would have been a very easy thing to do uh, politically, personally. Uh, that could have made the, the margin of difference. He might still be president if he had gotten on board with masks about three months earlier. Freeberg, what was your dumbest I actually, of- yeah, I, I put making masks political more broadly. Um, both the left and the right pointing fingers about masks. I mean, this is like a human life issue. And, um, you know, uh, kind of shaming the Republicans for not wearing masks and making it about we're the right guys, you're the wrong guys. Everyone should have avoided pointing fingers and avoided um, not doing it because the other side was doing it. And it should have never, ever been allowed to become political. It was pure science. It was about saving lives. And I think uh, both sides are to blame. Um, for, you know, the Democrats tried to make the Republicans look bad because they were advocating for masks and they shouldn't have done that. And the Republicans should not have tried to avoid wearing masks because the Democrats were telling them to wear masks. And it was just a total cluster. Um, Really sad and, you know, could have made a big difference for thousands of lives. I, too, put Trump not advocating for masks as my dumbest political move. I believe he nailed the stimulus, that first stimulus where he just dropped the $1,200 checks and the PPP and everything. He obviously nailed, uh, you know, the Operation Lightspeed and the vaccines. He didn't get credit for it. Um, I don't know if that was political or not, that they dropped them the week, the weeks after the election. I think it was. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a little bit cynical about that. But my God, is there nobody that this man would listen to? Um, and they must have all been telling him in unison, Hey, dipshit, put the mask on. We'll win the election. The In July and August, the numbers started to go down precipitously. And 
everybody, Fauci, everybody with half a brain was saying, second wave is coming, wear masks. And he refused to take that stance. And not only did that, he doubled down like the moron he is and started doing rallies. This person is such a complete idiot, grifter, and just imbecile that he couldn't see the clear path to victory. And he was tempting fate. And of course, he winds up getting COVID. I mean, the idiocracy of the moment is just so profound. He absolutely would have sailed into that second term. We were sitting here on this very podcast and we all believed he was going to sail into the second term when the market started ripping back and the COVID numbers went down. And because of the stupidity of not wearing masks, thank God we got him out. But to the families who lost loved ones, he's a murderer, period. We're moving on. Best political theater. Trump inhaling, Trump inhaling <laughs> COVID into his body and then taking the polyclonal antibodies to heal himself and show the American population that it's just not that bad. It was the best stunt, the best act, the best theater I've seen. And, um, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know what, what the hell else, uh, could have beaten it this year. I mean, the guy literally, he buckled himself in, he, you know, buttoned up his jacket. He stared out the lights in his face. He was glowing. He had the antibodies rushing through his body. He was healing his body. He was on speed, man. Was, Come on. Yeah. I thought, was, I thought the best, I thought the best so political theater was when the democratic leadership did like the Colin Kaepernick one knee in kinte cloths at the in the rotunda <laughs> of the Congress? <laughs> Oh can, can somebody, Nick, can you just throw the picture of that up there? <laughs> I mean, I mean, half of them are half of them are so old they couldn't get down on. Yeah, who picked day. them back up? They all hit their um, life alert. They got the life alert. I'm falling. I can't get up. Like twenty life alerts have never got off in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the kinte cloths were just so over the top. Like you didn't need the kinte cloths. They really were kinte cloths. <laughs> oh my lord! Oh lord! So oh, funny. All right, my best political theater in a god. I'm crying. I'm laughing so much. My best political theater is um, I. I don't know who this congresswoman is, but I am falling in love with her. Um, her name is Katie Porter. Oh my! She, she takes out a whiteboard. And she just she's meets. fabulous. No, she's it's fabulous. so great. She, she owns people with that whiteboard. It's oh. the greatest. It's the she greatest. basically does math, <laughs> and people are just. I mean, she's done this now two or three times, where she just takes people down, and she did it to Mnuchin. Like she was like, "Is today Tuesday?" And he's like, "You know, today's Tuesday." She's like. Can you tell me if today's too? And she just destroys people. Um, like, I, I, I've just never seen anything like it. Um, and uh, she's awesome. So best political theater for me. I don't know. Uh, David, did we get yours? Well, um, yeah. I mean, so I thought the the, the French laundry photos, you know, the, the, all these politicians uh, violating their own lockdown policies uh, was, some, was some pretty good the, uh, theater. You the actor? The actor? Theater, yeah, you had, you know, the you actor. had, you had uh, Gavin Newsom and, and uh, London uh, Bree dining at French Laundry. You had Nancy Pelosi going to that hair salon. Uh, Any Republicans you, do something like that? Well, <laughs> um, 
I, I would I would tell you if I knew of any, but Trump Republicans, rallies, the Republicans, perhaps? but yeah, but the Republicans haven't been supporting lockdowns. So, um, you know, look, if there was a Republican who was How supporting about the lockdowns, Rose Garden uh, Supreme Court where they had a super spreader event at the White House, but they weren't. But but that wasn't political theater because they weren't violating their own policies. Oh, they I were, see. They were saying that people could take the risk. Um, Got it. Okay. I, I'm I, I'm I'm picking these um, politicians the because because yeah. they're hypo- yeah. It's the it's yeah. the hypocrisy. Uh, the one I loved the best out of all the hypocritical politicians was the one who was like, "Please stay." It was the governor of some place, Colorado or something, and he's like, "Please stay home with your family. Do not travel for Thanksgiving. It's going to be too dangerous." And then they find out he did that tweet while at a Southwest gate going with his family to Thanksgiving. And they literally have pictures of him on his phone. And the picture was timed at the timestamp of the tweet. If I have my understanding, correct. I forgot the guy's name, uh, but there were so many of yeah. these. Well, let me, let me uh, give you another one. There was uh, okay. LA, uh, the LA County supervisor, uh, Sheila cool cast the deciding vote to shut down outdoor dining in Los Angeles, only to be photographed eating at Old Fornayo in Santa Monica two hours later. So it's just completely hypocritical. And, um, you know, this is why there could be a big recall next year in California. I think we have to put political theater as one category of just loathsome political theater because we're going on to worse political theater. And the stuff we've (laughs) seen has been pretty horrific. I'm going to lead us off with, with my worst political theater, which was the banning of TikTok was absolutely the right thing to do. And then they just handed it off as like a gift to Oracle to make money and maybe be their server farm. I don't understand. We were supposed to ban it and get it the (laughs) fuck out of the app store. And that was just terrible political theater. Anybody else got more political theater that we'll put in our loathsome political theater? Well, you, uh, Jason, just so you uh, understand that I'm being uh, politically even handed. This is where I had Rudy Giuliani and his uh, tour of self-immolation uh, from, <laughs> from, <laughs> from he did melt. He did from, melt <laughs> right from from the press conference in front of the crematorium <laughs> to the, the 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 hair dye meltdown to the <laughs> to the Borat video. To, All right, we to, need to hold on. Yeah. Hold on. I'm gonna anyway. make. I gotta call an audible. I'm calling an audible right. here. We're gonna have a new to, category to, to getting COVID. Worst. Rudy Giuliani moment. <laughs> can we have a we Giuliani have a award? Can, can we have the Giuliani award next year? Yeah, Giuliani like, award for self-immolation. Yeah, right. Yeah, the self-immolation award. What is the worst thing, the worst Giuliani moment? Oh, I think I, I, I think the saddest moment was the uh, in the Borat thing. That was sad because you just felt you just felt like this is an old broken man. Yeah, um, it was creepy yes. and it was just sad. He was like uh, desperate and he was creepy and it was but so the, the, worst, Giuliani the worst lifetime the, award. The worst though was was actually if you listen to the testimony when he farted, uh it was Did really terrible. Twice? It was really terrible actually. If you listen to the testimony, you're just like, what is this guy saying? It's out of control. Well, the, also I think we have to cut into here the poor woman sitting next to him who's <laughs> clearly in range. Um I mean <laughs> she's in the blast zone. <laughs> he, he rips it. <laughs> he rips it. And she looks him. She gives him side eye. But she is so like scared to react to such an obvious carpet bombing that <laughs> she just keeps a straight face, but her eyes go. <laughs> it, that was 
It must unforgivable. have been a stinker. Must have been a stinker. I mean, it was loud. It had resonance. It it was yeah. Um, can I can I can I give one can I give one other example? And I don't know whether this is best or worst theater, um, but um, but the 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 congressional uh, hearings with the tech CEOs where yes. the, the senators grilled all of the tech CEOs, and it was definitely it was definitely political theater. But on the other hand, they all deserved it, and yes. there's going to be more of it next year. Okay, let's do I, lightning I put, round. I, I, put, I, put that, I put that one as my as my worst political theater because I thought what was so depressing about it was how little the congressional um, the the Congress people actually understood of these businesses, and they went off on rants and and tirades about you know you're blocking Republican voice on Twitter and you're doing this, and none of it actually focused on you know the the monopolistic practices that was the intention of the hearing in the first place. When they actually got into those points, when they tried to talk about how the ad networks work and how targeting works, they didn't have any clue. It, I mean, it the was people really inside sad. these it, companies don't even know how it works, and they built it. I mean, these things I know, are complex. I'll tell you, like, I, I just, I just think it's really sad that um, that that folks in Congress, um, honestly, are are so disconnected from understanding technology and understanding, you know, modern business practices, um, and they can't actually, you know, tackle the real issues. Um, and it, it, well, it and neither me a does the scared. squad. Yeah. I mean, AOC didn't yeah. understand what a tax break was. I mean, so yeah, even no the clue. young ones don't understand stuff. I mean, we just we're getting the worst possible representation. Okay, now we're yeah. going to go to lightning round with our final two categories. Uh, best meme uh, for me, it was the funeral dancers, uh, followed up by Michael Jordan. I took that personally, and I of course loved Chamat's mix up that one of you maniac all in army members made. Uh, who do you got for who got best memes? Any got a best meme? Tubin. Oh, Tubin. 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 Yeah, forever, that, that's it. Forever a cautionary tale about what not to do on a Zoom call. <laughs> yes. Yes. That would be arguably in political theater. Let's say no. <laughs> uh, anybody else got a meme? <laughs> Best or worst? I like the funeral dancers, but. Uh, funeral dancers are pretty great. Yeah. David, anything for you? I just want to say to everybody that's listening, I really hope that you guys have an incredible holiday and um, uh, we can put this year behind us. And I hope for all of you guys that have gone through hard times, just know that, um, you know, hopefully you got some friends to talk to and family to see and talk to. And we love you. And we really appreciate that you take the time to listen. And guys, I just want to say to you guys, I love you guys with all my heart. Thank you for helping me get through a very difficult year. Uh, back at you and uh, I was very touched by the uh, birthday present you sent me last week that was just uh, oh you want to tell them what, what you got you want to tell them what you got big boy I mean listen I, I don't want to Chamath I, I, I get a big crate at the house it was I was born in 1970 and he got some of the best wines from 1970 and put them in a box and you know I, I literally had to put them on a shelf and say do not drink these these things cost as much as the Teslas in the driveways. I mean, some of these bottles are ridiculous and uh, I hope to crack them all open with you guys at the house in uh, Happy, honestly, happy, happy 50th birthday, big boy. It's a big, big Thanks, milestone. Yeah. Well, you know, I was, it was a little bittersweet, obviously, you know, I was going to have some kind of party or anything like that. And then what made it particularly hard and challenging was my birthday was on Saturday and my friend Tony Shea died on Friday uh, on that day. And I had been dealing with Tony Shea being in, a coma for the five, for the, no, for 10 days before that. And then I found out 
that that afternoon that they uh, tragically had to pull the plug um or i assume that's what happened i, I shouldn't say that out of, i don't want to speak out of uh, turn but uh this has been a shitty year and i really hope uh, that anybody out there who is suffering from mental illness uh or struggling in any way call a friend and i think the reason this podcast uh, has resonated with so many people, and I hear this from people when they listen to the pod. Is our friendship, and they and they 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 hear us talk, and they hear us laugh, and they hear us joke, and the value of friendship, and the love, and the joy, and people just can't believe uh, when Chamat says and and men say to each other they love each other, and they can't believe that Sachs almost is able to say it, and they and there's <laughs> people think by episode twenty five Sachs will be able to say it back to us. But we'll try right now. We'll see if we can close 2021. We're all going to say, I love you, David Sachs. And then let's just see if this can work. Right, let, I love you, David Sachs. I love, I love you, David Sachs. Back at you. Uh, we'll take it. We'll take it. We'll take it. I love you guys. Love you guys. Happy holidays. Right, love you guys. Happy see you guys holidays. in the new year. Yeah. See you in the new year. Bye-bye, besties.